1: to episode 352 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Sunday, June 5th. And I am joined, as often, by Scott Coleman, because it's winning streak time, Scott. The Braves are actually winning baseball games. Hello.
2: I don't want to take all the credit, Brad, but I was at that game on Tuesday night in Arizona, which, for my money, was (laughs) the worst loss of the season. And naturally, it's probably the one and only Braves game I will be in attendance for this year. They lose that one. Clearly, I am the motivating factor behind this entire team's success. And they have won five in a row, which they so desperately needed to do. Uh, so it was a fun week, especially towards the end of it. And as you noted, back above 500, which is just sounds right for this team in early June. And certainly a lot to dig into.
1: Yeah, we'll get into it, obviously, a little bit later on. But uh, this is the first time they have been above 500 since they were 2-1. and one. And that was the only other time this season. Because, of course, they lost the first game of the year. And they won two in a row and ever since they've been at or below 500. Uh, It's been a long time since that happened. Uh, Not all is cured. They're not suddenly going to win 110 games, but certainly uh, it's a better feeling this time around than it was a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, Thank you, by the way, for carrying the torch with Eric last week on the show. I was unavailable. I was actually in your neck of the woods. Eric erroneously described me as being in Las Vegas last week. I was not. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, home of Scott Coleman, or close to it. Not really, but uh, I was in your state last week anyway. so
2: Arizona, yeah. I don't recommend, uh, if you're going to visit Arizona, which is a great state, and I recommend any of our listeners, either (laughs) on the East Coast or down South, Arizona really is a beautiful place if you've never been out here, but yeah, like mid-May to mid-September is is uh, certainly not the time to come. But hey, well, uh, the winter time, get out of the cold if you are somewhere where it's cold. That's the that's when Arizona really shines.
1: I did play an incredible golf course that I'll tell you more about when we're off this call. But alas, we will move on to baseball. Uh, not any, like overwhelming pieces of pieces of news this week. We'll get into more of the game stuff and we'll fly through the D-back series other than the game that you so eloquently described as the worst loss of the season. Um, they had a couple of waiver claims the Braves did. Uh, Joe, is it Dunand? Dunand? I have no idea how to say that person's name. My apologies. Uh, Depth piece of the infield. Uh, and you uh, f- helpfully added that he is uh, his, he's Arod's nephew, which is just bizarre, but it, I guess he's A-Rod's nephew. Thanks for that. Yeah, um,
2: that's that's about as exciting so got- as Joe Denan gets. Maybe, I mean, as as it was clear by this waiver claim and then another one they made earlier today on Sunday, the organization just needed some live bodies in, in AAA just in case there's a sudden run of injuries. You have to have guys available and who knows? Maybe, do they still expand rosters? I don't know. Baseball changes the rules seemingly every year with that, but maybe, <laughs> maybe later in the year if they do the roster expansion thing, we see them.
1: We did a whole prep episode a couple weeks ago, uh, Eric and I, about them changing the pitching rules back to thirteen, and then they changed the rule like the next day back to fourteen again. So I have no idea what's going on with the rules. It is what it is, but uh, yeah, Joe Joe Dunan slash Dunand, and then Kramer Robertson is the other guy that they uh, claimed off waivers from the Cardinals. Both guys are like in their upper twenties, kind of typical, you know, hybrid you know, quadruple a guys that are not going to probably change your life very much, but they were, uh, as you sort of talk, talked about a second ago, like they had some 40 man issues. They didn't really have a lot of depth there of like healthy bodies on the 40 man. So if they had to have something happen, that was like demerit and that was kind of it um, for a while. Cause what even waters was banged up for a while, et cetera. So uh, that's all I have on those. Um, there were some injury updates, at least briefly. So I believe I was talking from, from Mark Bowman or somebody um, Masick is uh, playing catch now as he returns from his shoulder inflammation and Eddie Rosario has been at least hitting in the cage, but uh, in the words of, uh, I suspect it was Bowman, uh, neither is close to returning. So we'll see how long those guys are out, but they actually moved Rosario to the 60 day, 60 day IL. That doesn't really change much. He was going to be out anyway for a while, but it was sort of a procedural move to open up a roster spot. Matzik we'll see, but uh, it is a reminder that they are playing um, without those two guys and they were supposed to be two of their, you know, not necessarily key, key pieces, but certainly two of their upper uh, upper tier guys on this roster that are just not playing right now. So we'll see when they get back.
2: Yeah. Especially Tyler Matzik. Uh, We'll talk about the bullpen a little bit later and some of the struggles that guys like Will Smith and even Kenley Jansen has been a little shaky over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We know how good Tyler Matzik is when he is right and full on Tyler Matzik. You just have to hope that, His shoulder calms down, and I'm going to guess because of the shoulder inflammation, sounds like he was dealing with that as well in spring training. Might have been messing with his mechanics a little bit too. Uh, Quite obviously, if you can get Matzik back at any point here in the next couple of weeks, it would really pay dividend. Uh, And thankfully, with Michael Harris in the mix, I think the the urgency and, and desperate need for Eddie Rosario to come back as quickly as possible has calmed down a little bit. Uh, We we obviously want Eddie back and hopefully he continues to make a full recovery from his eye surgery, Uh, but because there is a little more depth and strong play in the outfield, you also have to hope that as Ronald Acuna Jr. progresses from his injury, he can play a little more regularly in the outfield. Um, But hey, whenever you can get Eddie back, I, I think he makes an impact as long as his vision is back to normal. And it will be nice to add those two kind of veteran guys at some point this summer.
1: Yeah. Rosario is if nothing else, at least, you know, as long as you can see is a professional bat, uh, the glove is not fantastic, but he at least will add to your uh, depth uh, with the bat and we'll get into all that stuff uh, later on, on this episode. But yeah, I actually realized this, um, today that I had not talked about Michael Harris yet. Uh, I know you guys did extensively. I know Eric did, uh, on another show I rode to Atlanta last week, but, uh, uh, I'll just say that it's fun to watch Michael Harris play baseball. Uh, he seems to be a lot of fun to watch. I had seen him a few times, of course, in the minors, but uh, we will always admit that I am not the biggest minor league guy. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun to kind of just watch him play defense. Um, it's refreshing compared to everybody else in the outfield this year. Um, not Adam Duvall. I, I think Duvall's done a, a very credible job holding down the fort. But, uh, you know, Duvall, Ronnie, and Michael Harris, if those guys could to play together, it's suddenly like, oh, a defensive outfield that's like, kind of functional with three guys. It's a, it'd be nice
2: yeah it's night and day and michael harris has been as advertised and last week when eric and i were holding down the fort and talking about harris you know, we we talked about just the need for some someone with his skill set to step in and you mentioned how good the defense has been he had a nice week he got off to a little bit of a slow start when he made his debut but he started to hit quite a bit in arizona and then colorado um speed plays, he looks like a guy who's going to be one of those guys who steals a handful of, of base hits over a season just on little infield bloops and dunks that he beats out. So he's been as advertised. And I think just the way that he's positioned right now in the ninth spot in the batting order is perfect for him. I really like how they've handled Michael so far, and, and he certainly looks the part.
1: Yeah, I'm, I think we're all excited about Michael Harris, and, uh, you know, there it is. Uh, if you want more on that, please listen to both shows that uh, both Eric and Scott did last week, and also Eric and Garrett did on River Atlanta. Um, as for the games, uh, we'll again fly through the Arizona series this week. Uh, it was a loss uh, of a series. They lost two of the three games, including the first two. Kind of a weird one on Monday, uh, not a whole lot going on there other than a bizarre uh, Marcelo Zuna defensive baffle play. Uh what was he five feet short? He kind of had a weird slide going after a fly ball. And then there was a home run on the next pitch or the next batter. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. uh, the Marcelo's experience in a nutshell in a lot of ways. And I think that there was a lot of, at least in my anecdotal stuff while traveling and conferencing this week, there was lots of Marcelo's in a discussion on the internet this week uh, and not in the most positive way. <laughs> generally speaking.
2: You know, it's to the point, I know it's not a perfect situation right now as rung comes back and you're trying to get at bats for, Uh, Bill Contreras, which we're going to talk about a little bit later as well. But man, like it's to the point for me where if you cannot DH Marcelo Zuna, you don't play him anymore because like if he was one of the leading hitters in the game, like he was during that 2020 season and he was just like every night seemingly going two for four with a double and a homer, then I think you can live with it if he's just making a couple of mistakes a week in the outfield uh, but he's not hitting particularly well. He had a big hit on Saturday night. And, um, he's always been a streaky hitter, but, man, that defense – I mean, it's unplayable it is really what it is. And unless he's just on some kind of crazy heater where you don't want to take his bat out of the lineup, I am firmly in the camp that you have to sit him. If if anybody else is available for left field that night, I would take them over Marcel.
1: Yeah, uh, I think – in particular, it gets interesting when you talk about Contreras, and we'll probably circle back to that. But um, take even putting Contreras aside in terms of the DH position, which is also interesting in that Ozuna has not been the greatest hitter for the last couple of years. Uh, that's kind of the other thing. Like, it's possible. I'm not saying it's definite, but it's possible that Contreras is just a better hitter right now. He's been a better hitter this season, full stop, obviously. But I'm talking about, like, Remove the small sample size aspects of it. Uh, try to be a little bit more responsible. Um, it is possible, given what own has been in the last two years, that he's just not that good of a hitter anymore. And I-, I think it's pretty obvious what you said. Like, if you factor in what his current, maybe even you know better than that, but especially his current performance at the plate is, you can't play that guy in the outfield. That guy is is a strongly below replacement level player, and we see that in in, in the metrics. I think Fangrass has him as a negative player for the season. That makes sense to me. Um, And, yeah, I think if you DH him, you DH him, and I I do understand the impetus to do that um, from everything from his history. uh, His batted ball profile is still pretty good, just for the record. Like his stack-ass page still looks awesome. He hits the ball hard still. Um, But uh, factor all that in with the fact that, he just is a pretty soundly bad defender. And it's kind of funny to me that uh, even with all of that, he seems to be better than like Arcia in the outfield. They seem to like favor uh, Ozuna to Arcia in particular in the outfield. Maybe, maybe Contreras is actually ahead of, of Ozuna in the technical order for, for defense now. I'm not particularly sure. But it does kind of also lead to this conversation about Acuna where like, you know, some of the, you know, Twitter eggs, were like mad that Acuna was sore after playing on, on turf. And I thought it was pretty funny. There was a uh, there was a writer I won't name um, that was like kind of openly questioning why um Acuna wasn't going to play defense on the turf and was like, well, there's no risk to him playing defense on the turf. And then the next day he was hurt. He was hurt slash sore. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. pretty funny. Um, And it just another reminder that Acuna is he had surgery less than a year ago. And like, I know he's a superhuman, but take it easy on him a little bit. All that said, the perfect lineup. With the Cunha playing defense, is pretty easy to construct. But until he can play defense every single day, it's a little bit harder. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you to bring it full circle. Like, Azuna is really tough to play in the outfield right now. That's just, uh, you know, I'm not even sure what else to add. Like, he, he's got to yeah. hit so well to play the outfield. And we knew that. That's the thing. Like, we said this throughout the offseason. Like, acknowledging he was going to be back, back on the roster and all that stuff. He's a DH only anyway. Even if he is hitting, he's really DH only, but it's especially bad when he's not hitting.
2: Well, let's hope that as Ronald gets healthier, he's able to play in the field, maybe not every single day, but most days. Um, and with Contreras too, uh, he ob- I mean, it's not fair to expect him to be able to go out in a corner outfield spot when he's been a catcher his entire professional career. Yeah. like that, That's a lot to ask. And even more so with the injury to Manny Pena, I want Bill to play as much as he possibly can. That being said, you do have to be a little careful with him. And I was thinking about this earlier today when the lineup came out on Sunday and Ozuna sat and Contreras was DHing. Um, you only have two legitimate catchers in the organization right now. And Travis Darnot has a lengthy injury history at this point in his career. And as it's just, it's tough to keep catchers healthy over a full year. I'm guessing that internally, the Braves have no real interest or desire to have Contreras roam the outfield, even if the bat is really good. That—that's, I think, you're just kind of playing Russian roulette a little bit, right there. Um, it, it's just—it's a long year, and, and I think ultimately you just have to find other ways to figure out the DH uh, than putting Contreras at risk in left field.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's okay to try it, but I, and I I would be less conservative than Snit wants to be I think with regard to using Contreras but I do think it's fair to like just remember that he's not an outfielder he can maybe fake it there um you know he's got a better arm <laughs> a better arm than uh, Marcelo Zuna that's for sure but as long as he's slugging like 700 like he is now like they're gonna be calls to play him and I totally get it and I think that the combination of reality with his bat like he's not this good I mean nobody is he's again he actually the i gonna give you the actual numbers yes he's he's slugging 667 right now through eighty two plate appearances he's not going to do that. Um, Could he be awesome? Yes. Um, He has a 183 WRC plus that's going to cool off. And the fact that um, he probably isn't going to be good in the corner, but yeah, I think the impetus to play him a lot is reasonable, but it does get into that conversation about Ozuna because, you know, one of the ways really the best way, I think you kind of said it there to play Contreras more is to DH him more, but that requires you to either play him flat over a guy you're paying for three more years or play Ozuna and left. Neither of those are good options. (laughs) So I don't know what you do there, but that's, it's certainly as long, as long as Contreras is hitting, and as long as Ronnie um, is not a full, full, full full-time outfielder, it's not a great situation to have in the outfield. Yeah,
2: there's no, it's pretty clear that after having these discussions for a couple of weeks now, as, as Bill has continued to hit, right. It's, it's pretty clear that there's no obvious solution here. Somebody would have probably pointed it out by now, but it, it's both a good problem to have because it means you're trying to find a way to get a guy who is red hot at the plate and has some very real talent into your lineup, but at the same time, you're also trying to piece together the lineup and make sure that you're not uh, shooting yourself in the foot defensively or putting guys at risk of injury, uh, whatever it may
1: be. Yeah, and uh, we'll leave this topic, but I, it really is kind of striking to me. And there is a conversation that has to be had about just not playing Ozuna. I don't think we're there yet. I understand the calls for that. I do. And obviously the off-field thing is the off-field thing, but just baseball-wise only and contract-wise only, I don't think that they're going to pull the plug on Ozuna anytime soon. I think he'd have to be so bad for even longer than this, maybe another month plus for them to even consider that. I think he's going to play most days, if not every day, uh, and you're just hoping that it's more at DH than anything else because defense is is what it is. Okay, Um, beyond that, I mean, the other thing that we talk about, like Strider pitched twice this week as a starter. He pitched better on Monday, I think, in my mind. Um, Had some bad defenses we talked about with Ozuna. He was not quite as good in his start in Colorado, but it's Colorado, and he did manage to navigate without super damage. Um, I wonder what you saw from him because clearly we were calling for him to start for a while. He now has those two starts. Uh, he looks pretty good to me, at least uh, much better than the other options. I know, I, I know our friend, Stephen Tolbert was tracking the fifth starter spot and not just how bad it's been. Um, if nothing else, he's better than those guys.
2: Yeah. We talked at length last week about just the, the ongoing issues the Braves have had with their fifth starter. And I was really impressed by Strider on Monday. Um, it, it's not an easy place to pitch and, and he did a nice job. He threw a lot of strikes um, of course, Saturday night in Coors Field, which is an even more difficult scenario to pitch in, uh, the command just wasn't there. But I thought Mark Bowman had a good point about, look, Spencer Strider has all the talent. We've seen the stuff. Uh, he has to learn how to not only attack big league lineups multiple times through, but also just build up the, the stamina and the arm strength. It's a, of course, a guy who was only throwing one or two innings at a time every three or four days out of the bullpen to begin the year. And, and now you're asking him to throw, hopefully it gets to a point of 90 plus pitches every fifth day and, and working a little deeper into games. Uh, so it was impressive on Monday night. And uh, I think it certainly showed if, if he can throw that change up consistently for strikes as he was doing against the diamondbacks with that fastball and breaking stuff that he has, he's going to be a successful starter. Uh, but with all young guys, as we know, well, it's just a matter of him, throwing plates, throwing plates over the strike zone, throwing balls over the strike zone and, and uh, learning how to attack hitters.
1: It's a professional podcast, Scott. Yeah. Um, um, Before we move on from this and get into the more fun stuff of of the winning streak uh, you talked about Tuesday and having been there, uh, do you have anything to add on the just mania that was Tuesday night and the eight, seven loss that they had, because there were so many things we could get into between the Adam Duvall mishap with the throw uh ozuna can't run there was the missed challenge that everyone in the world saw other than the than the dugout (laughs) which is kind of tough to see um anything to add other than just the uh the the mind-numbing loss of that uh, the nature of that loss because clearly they didn't lose again after this week so maybe maybe that was all they had to have
2: yeah i hope that was the turning point for this season and sometimes you need a really bad loss and bob nightingale our favorite national reporter i Bob. uh Said on Wednesday, yeah, from listen, frequent <laughs> listener, yeah, frequent listener, Bob Nightingale uh, said that the team had a, a team meeting on Wednesday before the game. You know, I, I never know. Nobody is in those rooms other than the players and the coaches. We'll never know what's said and what kind of impact it's going to make, but it was a bad loss. And it, maybe it was that loss that they needed to kind of give everybody a kick in the pants and say, you know what, we, we got to figure this out. That was an embarrassing loss on Tuesday night. You're up 6 2. And I think it, that you take the lead in extra innings, just a couple of guys thrown out on the basis. It was just a brutal game. We don't need to relive it anymore. Let's just hope that in a couple of months as the Braves are sitting pretty in the standings, we look back on that very unfortunate night as a, as a turning point in the season.
1: Let us hope. Okay. Let's take a break now to uh, wrap up the losing portion of the week and get into the much more fun winning streak portion of the week. And, uh, Back one, in one moment, I should say, to hear uh, from our sponsors, and we'll get back to more conversation about the winning streak and what's to come and the future, et cetera, et cetera. Hold on tight.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
1: post team meeting and win in convincing fashion, um, a couple of, you know, obviously they, it was a shutout. So what are you going to do? Uh, I will say I was actually at a diamondbacks game on Sunday. They played the Dodgers while I was in town and, uh, their offense is really bad. <laughs> so that, that actually added to the fact, to the point about how bad that Tuesday last the, the Tuesday, Tuesday loss was because Arizona's offense is brutal. Like truly, they have just nothing going on there. As you well know, as a local yeah, resident, yeah. Um, but they shut them out on Wednesday. Um, we should reference this now. Austin Riley has come alive again. He famously had kind of a, I don't know, three, four week downturn. Um, and with, uh, I think he homered on Wednesday. He had another homer earlier in the week, another homer later in the week, etc. He is now up to, as I'm looking now, a 137 WRC plus for the season. He has a hit in every game over the last two weeks, other than one, I think he, I think it was an, an over on Friday night, but he's now slugging 530 again. Looks like himself again. Brooks Robinson is back, baby. Austin Riley. Um, I don't know what else to add about Wednesday. That was a nice, it was a nice win. Oh, oh, also the Michael Harris catch we should talk about. That was an awesome catch.
2: Yeah, that was a a glimpse. Michael Harris made a a crazy diving catch coming on the ball. He got really low too, which I thought was impressive um, for him to really see the trajectory of the ball. It was a line drive hit right at him. And I think those are just some of those instincts and just kind of natural talent that a guy like him has that no matter how many times you practice it, I think just when you're talking about a player as talented and gifted as Michael Harris, that was really impressive from him, from him. And uh, the other player just to, to mention is my best friend, Kyle, Wright. Uh, did not Did not have great command. He issued five walks to that aforementioned bad lineup, but he threw six scoreless innings and it's been a constant theme this year that whenever Kyle seems to get in trouble, instead of unraveling and kind of letting the roof cave in, He's done a really nice job of, of just you know, taking a deep breath and resetting and, and more times than not getting out of the jam. So it was nice, especially after that bad loss on Tuesday, you absolutely did not want to get swept by the Arizona diamondbacks uh, for Kyle to go out there and, and do his job. And then the bullpen was solid to at least win one of those games. And then of course uh, you know, set up the uh, set things up nicely for the Colorado series was really important.
1: Yeah. And uh, clearly, that series went very well. Uh, they score 13 runs on Thursday and 18 hits and kind of just blow them out. Travis Arneau, uh, signs of life. That's good to see from TDA, who had a really good start and then kind of a down month of May. Uh, everyone had a hit in that game. Riley extended his streak to 11 games, as referenced before. Ian Anderson was good, at uh, least decent enough. I, I shouldn't say good. He was decent enough. He ate some time. And it's course field. I mean, everything I know is we are get into Friday's game, which is absolutely insane. And that they just never, never run scored to course field. But I forgot this a few times during the week, looking at the score, looking at uh, the numbers. Like, just a reminder course is course field. And like, everything has to be adjusted there. I know Friday was crazy, but um, pitching wise, I don't really worry about. Anything I saw from guys like Strider, even Jansen um, and Ian, I know Max was great on Friday, but like it's it's Course Field, man. I don't I don't really take too much from anything pitching wise. I don't know I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think honestly, if you're looking for something to take away from from Anderson's start, is that he was staked out to an early lead and he threw strikes. And yeah, if you start walking people in Course Field. You are not going to survive. And he only walked one batter. Um, he he threw strikes. He worked through six innings, which is all you can ask for. Yeah, he gave up five or six runs. Um, you know, it wasn't the sexiest start, but he did strike out nine, which is impressive. I think that tied a career high for him. Uh, but the fact that he was able to give uh, the team six innings, he threw 103 pitches, which is a lot for him. Uh, but he was throwing strikes, and that's all you really can ask for, especially when you have a, a big lead early on inside cores.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's well said. Um, So that was a nice, nice comfortable win on Thursday. Friday was a bizarre game. Um, Their best opportunity to score the Braves until the 10th inning was in the first. They actually had first and third with no out in the first inning and blew it. There could have been a challenge that it wasn't happening and they they didn't score there. And it was like, all right, this is course field. That That won't matter. And then you fast forward. It was the second game in the history of course field to have a zero-zero score through nine innings, Scott zero-zero through nine innings at Coors Field is absolutely insane. And again, it hasn't been open that long. Like I was alive when Coors Field was built, but still, second game ever at zero-zero through nine innings at Coors Field—that's insane.
2: Well, and it wasn't the Braves, but in the night before, and then there was a doubleheader on Wednesday with the Rockies and the Marlins, and then of course the Braves on Thursday. There were 59 runs scored <laughs> in the three games before Friday night. And then and then, and
1: then it was zero, zero,
2: <laughs> zero, zero. Yeah. It was actually uh, I was not able to watch up until like the eighth or ninth inning. It was my brother's birthday. We were at dinner. I checked the, my little uh, MLB app on my phone and I'm like, it's zero, zero. What? Like it's never zero, zero. Is, is, it, is it,
1: is it a rain delay? Like what's happening right now? Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: yeah. I mean, I know the baseball is screwy and some nights it seems like it's one of the 2019 baseballs. And then, The next night, the ball just absolutely carries at like, it just dies right in the middle of the outfield. We've seen that time after time this year. Um, Yeah. I mean, at least they won the game. Max Reed was fantastic. I I think just we're seeing Max take the next step as a legitimate ace. Like I think, I think the term ace gets overused in baseball, like whoever the, the best pitcher on a team is just automatically, Oh, that's Tampa Bay's ace. Oh, that's, boston's ace those guys are not necessarily aces right max freed has morphed into a legitimate ace he has been one of the top 10 pitchers in the league all year he's working deep into games i think it's impressive the way that he just he doesn't chase strikeouts or at least doesn't feel like it he's throwing more strikes he is somebody who i'm pretty convinced could strike out like 10 batters every single start if he really wanted to But then that would require him, of course, nibbling. I think you have to just work matters differently when you're trying to chase strikeouts, whereas he is instead letting the ball go out in the field. He has good defense behind him most nights. Um, I think just the way that Max has transformed as a young pitcher into just a certified frontline starter has been really fun to watch.
1: Okay, Scott, I am pulling this on you out of nowhere, but trivia time for you on Max Freed since you brought it up. Two questions for you. Number one. How many starters in Major League, not, not even the National League, in Major League Baseball have a, have more fangraphs WAR than Max Freed since the beginning of the 2020 season? So the last, you know, ooh. obviously 2020 was a short season, the full season last year, and then this year included. So last three seasons, but not quite full three, three seasons. How many, play, how many pitchers in all of baseball have been better and fangraphs WAR than Max Freed?
2: I will say, oh, good question. I will say 10 of them.
1: Six is the answer. He is number seven in the major league baseball in Fangraphs WAR among pitchers since twenty twenty started. That's how that, good he's been.
2: That's that really pitch. impressive. Yeah. That, also, that's, by the way,
1: number two in ERA and qualify among qualified guys in the ERA behind only Corbin Burns. How about that?
2: That's pretty good, man. That's, that, that's pretty good. And and you know what's crazy too about that is just the way that the Braves developed him. The Braves absolutely nailed their development with Max Freed. Like The way they, they brought him out of the bullpen early on in his career, he has talked about how that's really helped him, how he learned to attack big leaguers, and then they slow played him. Of course, he had the Tommy John surgery. I mean, he was hurt when they traded for him all those years ago. Uh, the way that they have brought Max Freed along, and it is so difficult to develop legitimate ace-type pitchers, and clearly by that stat you just brought up, Max is, is absolutely in that conversation.
1: Before anybody yells at me, uh, I just dipped the qualifying down a little bit, and he falls to uh, ninth. If you add in uh, like guys like guys like Degrom and Shane Bieber, who have far less innings, but still, like he's been ridiculous. And uh, yeah, Max, I mean. I'm not saying I didn't know that until right this second. I, I would have guessed a lot lower, to be honest with you, but that kind of just speaks to how good he has been for, again, more than two years now. He's been an ace-level pitcher for that long, and uh, I'm with you on the ace thing. It's, it, it does get overused, but he's been a legitimate ace now for a long time. So worth pointing that out, and he definitely was sort of the stopper on that night. Just for the, just for the record, the Braves finally scored in, in the uh, in the 10th, which is not a huge thing with man, with Manfred Ball, but when they finally scored, it was on the following sequence – Wild pitch, walk, hit by pitch, wild pitch. <laughs> and that's how they scored. <laughs> we, they, they, uh, they did break it open with Matt Olson finally with a two-run single. But that, that was their yeah. first run of the game. Was, uh, was that was that was wild pitch, walk, hit by pitch, wild pitch. Hilarious.
2: Gotta love, uh, gotta rob, <laughs> Rob Manfred, ladies Manfred and gentlemen. Ball baby. That um, is that is what we're here for.
1: It was incredible. Um, anyway, a, a weekend of firsts for the Braves. That was their first three-game winning streak of the season. They of course added on to that. After that, um, on Saturday, we talked about Strider before. He wasn't fantastic on Saturday, but did enough to have them win. And again, cores adjusted. Um, took them 11 innings to win the game. Uh, more mid-fred ball on Saturday. Uh, it was kind of more, let's just say, fireworks because they ended up scoring. Uh, they only, winning by four runs in extra innings is not always the easiest thing to do, and that happened. Uh, I just want to circle this uh, just for the record. Adam Duvall has been quite bad at the plate this year. That is uh, undeniable, even as an Adam Duval stand that I am. But uh it was good to see him get a little bit right over the weekend, hit hit, hit the two-run homer. that didn't I technically need it on Saturday. That was sort of their last blow um at the plate. But anything to get him going would be nice. And we got actually a question about him that I want to answer. It was actually while we recorded the podcast. You you've not seen this. Someone asked us uh basically what you what we thought about um the theory that him not playing center field is going to allow him to hit better, basically crediting Michael Harris with Adam Duvall's, uh plate resurgence. Yep. <laughs> that was pretty funny, but it's uh, probably th- not a crazy question.
2: I think it's very legit. We, we talked about that last week. I know you were out navigating the desert and probably didn't tune in, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> I think, I think getting Duvall out of center field is going to make an impact. Now, I think with this new baseball, I think guys like Duvall who hit for power, but maybe don't get on base at a great clip. I think it's going to hurt them. I think that's playing a factor with why he has struggled, but I absolutely believe that getting him out of center field will help. I don't know how much it's going to help, but I do think it's going to be beneficial.
1: There you go. Um, I love to answer live questions. in the, middle of the podcast Just for you for a loop Scott. Um, so they, they get the win on Saturday. Anything else you want to add on Saturday? Because, uh, you know, it was kind of a weird game, but they ended up in a rare swing. They went back-to-back extra inning games, which they just never do. They, they yeah. don't win those games.
2: I do want to give a quick shout-out to all of the Braves fans this week in Arizona and Colorado. Um, I tweeted this on Saturday. I don't know if I've ever heard a louder Braves game than what I heard on, on Saturday night as the road team. In um, those extra innings, like, it was loud. Uh, when Duvall homered, there was an audible roar uh, and there was a great shot. I think it was Dansby and somebody else uh, in the dugout, both kind of like flipped their heads around during the home run from Duval to like look and see all the fans cheering. Uh, it was really impressive. So shout out to all of us West Coasters. Uh, we showed up this week.
1: Yes, your people showed up, including yourself. And of course, you, you led them to a loss on, on Tuesday. But other than that. Um, it is your fault that they lost that game on Tuesday. It I is
2: 100%. It's funny. Early on, I used to have like the worst track record with with the Braves, like in attendance. Like I would go to one game and that would be the one game they lose in a four game series and they would go three and oh in the others. Um, it's balanced out over the years. But yeah, that was like we said earlier, it's going to be the turning point. Clearly, my presence has inspired them and they will not lose a game the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Today, as we of course on Sunday, they win eight to seven. That is their fifth straight win, of course. And again, as I said at the top of the podcast, their first time over five hundred since they were two and one this season. Um, Matt Olson, everyone's favorite punching bag, who's actually been good this season. <laughs> if we run going home run, um, that was the biggest swing of the game. Um, on top of that, you got a, Ronnie hit a solo home run. Um, Morton, you know, cores adjusted. I don't really care that much. He didn't pitch well, but he did enough to kind of just hang on for dear life in the game uh anything else you wanted to get to from today in particular before we get to some broad takeaways from the week
2: um uh, will smith is going to slowly kill us all like uh, it, he's not been good this year let's just say his fip is above 6 yep. i mean he the ho- he walks guys it's the and walks
1: and the home runs walks and
2: home runs there is not a reliever on the planet who can survive and be sustainable with walks and home runs. And the issue is that, as we know, Brian Snitker for all of his pros (laughs) and all of his cons, a con is that he is going to continue to give the baseball to Will Smith as long as he is healthy and on the roster. Like we know that. He has been the de facto high leverage uh, reliever, basically the entire year, despite the continued struggles and I mean, maybe that changes if you get Tyler Matzick back here in the next couple of weeks. But man, I mean, I I'm running through the list of bullpen relievers right now. If it's a close game, and I'll ask this question to you, Brad. If it's a close game, let's say it's a one-run game in the ninth and Kenley Jansen isn't available, who did not have a great week himself, but nonetheless, I mean, where does Will Smith fall on the totem pole of relievers you want in that spot? Because quite honestly, I don't know if there's a single reliever <laughs> who I would take Will over right now. I mean, Darren O'Day always kind of gives you a little bit of a, Oh yeah. God, here we go. But- I,
1: I, I would say, well, I would say Smith over O'Day. Uh, I will, I will start there. And obviously I have long been a Will Smith apologist. And even I, you know, I led this conversation by saying he was not that good this year. He, he looks worse than last year. I thought last year was a little bit of noise, honestly, Um, And then he, of course, found it in the playoffs. Thank God for that. He was fantastic. But uh, this is more concerning to me than I've probably ever been with Will Smith. I know that's kind of puts me on on an island because a lot of people wanted to, like, fire him into the sun earlier in the contract. But this has been his worst stretch for me in terms of, like, what he looks like, the peripherals, et cetera. It doesn't look the same because a lot of this stuff was just... Obviously, the home runs have always been a problem, but the walks now and everything else... um, I say all that. Um, I think... I would rather have Smith than O'Day right now, but that might be it of the guys who were like always in the bullpen, like the non-fringy um, guys. Like Jackson Stevens has been way better than Will Smith. Like he's been, yeah. a, he's he's a, yeah. he's a very anonymous guy, but he's been really good. Um, Thornburg was on. He, was around. Yeah, he's
2: gone. Yeah, he's yeah, gone. Yeah, he, I
1: mean, I'm looking at the numbers like. He's the yeah, only he, other guy in the same. And by the way, he had better peripherals <laughs> this
2: year. He did. That was a weird. Um, that, that was a weird one. DFA. Uh,
1: Dylan Dylan Lee is Dylan Lee. Um,
2: yeah, he doesn't really care. Like he's no. a he's a long inning. So yeah, kind
1: of... I, I think you go like obviously Mentor's been incredible. Um, I I'm a big fan of Colin McHugh, uh, even with some weird moments from him this year. He's still a guy I pretty much trust. Jansen Jesse Chavez is in a different category, but he's been good too.
2: Yeah, um, no, I mean I would. 10 times out of 10 take Jesse Chavez who has been like legitimately pretty good this year. He's only made 13 appearances, but I mean, solid numbers across the board. No, Um, Smith is
1: definitely lower end at the, I mean, at minimum, he's not in the top four or five guys you would trust, but you're right. I mean, realistically speaking, he's going to have to continue to pitch himself out of the role because, you know, on the bright side, I guess you're looking this way. He's not the closer anymore. So there's a little bit less of a like firm role there. Like, if he was, it, let's just say they didn't have Jansen, you know, it would be Smith closing until he just couldn't close.
2: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we thought it was going to be Will Smith until what, like four weeks before the season started.
1: Oh, I mean, it was, it was going to be, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they obviously, and, and listen, listen again, one more time, he was a post hero. Like he was really, really good in that stretch, but uh, you know, his, his contracts expiring finally after this long winding road. And yeah, I, I think you'll have a long leash with Snit, but I do wonder what the point is where he's a little bit lower in the leverage. Obviously he's making a lot of money. He's not going to like, unless he gets hurt, they're not going to just fire him into the sun, but he's going to, you would hope they would lean more on guys like mentor and guys like McHugh in a higher leverage role than Smith. Um, and they've done that a little bit this year, I'll say, but not quite. I, I think he's still pretty much in that role that he has not quite earned <laughs> the season. Let's just say so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you.
2: I think really to wrap this up, I think you just have to kind of close your eyes and pray that Will starts to be a little bit like, I don't think he's this bad. Like I don't don't think he's DFA in the middle of July bad, but he's been like legitimately one of the worst relievers in baseball this year. And thank goodness. There's some depth here because if not, I think we'd be feeling the pain even more. Oh yeah. Um, But yeah, they would probably
1: give him the courtesy. I L appearance before they would just like jettison him i can't you know just given the relationship given the contract given the world series and the veteran status they would probably give him one more chance to just like have the fake injury uh and then maybe have one more chance after that before they like really like straight up dfa'd him but yeah i think it you know if he's this bad for another three weeks the questions get louder so i don't don't know if that's going to happen and i'm kind of with you i expect him to be better than this um and you know, you know, caveats aside, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit higher on him usually. But even I, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm not, uh, I'm not buying it this time around. I, I don't see the same stuff that I saw previously. So yeah
2: on the on the plus side, AJ Minter has been as Murder of Chris? Saturday. Yeah, as, <laughs> as of Saturday night, AJ Minter was tied for the major league lead in reliever war with uh, I think who I I forget his name, the cat who is uh, closing out games for the Yankees. Um, I mean. AJ Minter has been phenomenal this year, and we, I think we're high on AJ. We know how good he can be, and thank goodness, because especially with Kenley Jansen being a little shaky, um, the arms and the bullpen, it, it's weird, and uh, I don't want to go too long on the bullpen, but like if you look at statistically, the bullpen has been arguably the best in baseball this year. Yep. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, I watch most of the games. I, I'm sure our listeners do too. I don't feel like super confident about our bullpen most nights. Like maybe it's just some of the the recent PTSD with some of these blown leads. and maybe I think it's just bullpens,
1: man. Like that's the thing about bullpens is that they just, the stuff that goes badly sticks in your mind. But yeah, just to, just to, just to back you up here, I just pulled the up to the minute fan graphs stuff uh, numbers wise. And the Braves are like well above every other team in the league in bullpen war this year. Like they are, are they're 3.4 and number two is 2.9. Like they have a half win on the field. That's how good they've been. And yeah, it doesn't feel like that they've been that good. I think, you know, we knew they were going to be good. It was going to be a strength coming into the year. And I think, you know, Jansen being so good for, you know, until like a week and a half ago, basically um, is part of that mentors, part of that Jackson Stevens is part of that, et cetera. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like, we know they've been good, but, I do have a hard time just anecdotally buying they've been good this good, but the numbers are what they are. Like they I mean, even if you don't believe in war, their ERA is 3.3, 3.17. 3, 3. That's like top three or four in the league too. So it is what it is, but they've been good.
2: It's uh, it, it is. I mean, it's just been a weird situation all year, it's all been frankly, weird. but I'm Hey, too. you know what? I would rather the numbers be good and just feel a little bit less good about it than the opposite of like, they've been terrible. Um, because as we know, there's been some other struggles outside of the bullpen this year and hopefully they'll stabilize, I don't think anything's wrong with Kenley Jansen. I think he's just had no. a couple of bad games. Um, you know, like we talked about Minter, we talked about McHugh, who has really quietly been one of the better relievers in the game. Once again, this year, Jackson Stevens has been like, I mean, nobody had Jackson Stevens throwing like big innings for this team and he's been really good. Uh, he had one bad outing, I think, in, in Phoenix. I think he actually pitched on that Tuesday night game when they lost. But that's not his fault. I mean, I, I can't imagine a reliever coming in and you look back in the 10th inning and there's a guy standing on second base before you've even thrown a pitch. Like, th- that's just, that's a joke. But, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's been a, it was an interesting week for the bullpen. It's probably the best way to put a bow on all this.
1: Yeah, and to give the the up to the minute numbers on Mentor, a one point one three ERA, a zero point nine four FIP for the season, Um, just crazy stuff. Like he's like a ten to one almost strikeout to walk ratio, just ludicrous stuff. He's been he's been crazy, and yeah, he's tied for the national lead in Fangraphs work for relievers with Josh Hader, who is famously awesome. Um, Michael King is the guy you were thinking of for the Yankees, and he's number one in the league, but he's like a weird. He's got a lot of innings. This is probably why he's number one. Anyway, all that said, Mitchell's been awesome. Um, before we get out of here, I, I have to do this. It, it, it gives me no pleasure, Scott, but we have to talk about Ozzy Albies, um, who I love kind of famously. I picked him to be the MVP of the league this year. Um, you and I talked about him as like a, not, a guy we weren't worried about, like, I don't know, like a month ago now. Um, he's gotten worse since then. He has an 88 WRC plus now he was better over the weekend. Uh, maybe that's cores doing core stuff, but that includes today an 88 WRC plus for the season. Now, fortunately Ozzy does so much with his legs and with his defense that he's still on pace for, I don't know, like a two and a half win season, three win season, which is still like a really good player, (laughs) but, um, not the superstar that he has been in the past. And by the way, that's what he's been. I know that he doesn't always have that, that label or that respect level, but if you go by the numbers, he's been a, you know, if you want to say superstar, definitely a star level player for the majority of his career. And uh, the bat has just been lagging behind this year. And also, unlike a guy like Ozuna, who has good stat cast batted ball numbers, Ozzy's numbers are not good in terms of the batted ball stuff, too. So I'm I'm not worried. But it is notable now to where like I didn't want to talk about it until now, but like his 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 power numbers are down. What do you make of this? Because the batch just not been good.
2: It hasn't, and it's just it's been a weird year because I pulled some numbers. He had six home runs in his first 16 games to begin the season. And I remember this was granted this was, you know, end of April, early May, but it was like, wow, we're about to get as you very kind of boldly predicted, I think it was your bold prediction of the year on, on the offensive side that Ozzy was going to be like a legitimate MVP. I did. And, and it seemed like we were on our way to that. And since then he, he does not have a home run since April 23rd, which is bizarre because he has so much raw power. Um, you know he's always been a free swinger. It's not like he was this uber patient guy. <laughs> yes, for years. And and frankly, I mean, you look at his numbers now. Um, he's walking. He's never walked. He's only at five point five percent this year. His career is six point six percent. He also has never struck out very much, um, other than the the twenty twenty season where he was playing hurt for a couple of weeks. Um, he's not striking out a ton either. He's only at seventeen percent. So it's. It's just with Ozzy. I think it's just the approach, and he'll have so many at bats where he just kind of takes himself out of it because he'll go up two zero and then he'll swing at a couple pitches out of the zone, and before you know it, it's two two and he's popping up, or he's ahead in the count three zero and and he just he'll swing at junk and make a quick out. He did that one of the games in cores. and I know it's it's difficult. There was one at bat too that's worth pointing out. I, I don't think he saw a strike. He saw six pitches. All of them were out of the zone except for the final one, and he made an out. And I think it's just – I think it's a matter of approach. He's always been a streaky guy, although he is in quite a bit of a downturn right now. Um, it's, it's just been a weird year for him, and I think you hope that as others continue to hit, you can hide him a little bit, maybe like seventh in the order. Um, but, yeah, it's been a weird year for the, the very talented young Ozzie Aldi's.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't have reference the uh, Statcast stuff earlier, but just some some Fangraphs numbers. While we're here, his barrel rate is like half of what it was last year. His hard hit rate is twenty four point nine percent coming into the day. That is by far the worst of his career. So he's just not making the same, the same kind of contact that he's made in the past. And I'm not sure if it's just a small sample size thing or what. He's not in an age where you would worry about him getting worse. Like he he just turned twenty five in January. Like this is supposed to be his prime. So I'm not. Worried, maybe there's an injury, maybe there's something weird about it, maybe it just a small sample size noise kind of thing. But um, yeah, it is notable. Like his, you know, as much as it seems like he is always streaky, because he kind of is on some level, at the end of the day, his career numbers, he's had between a 100 and a 116 WRC plus for five straight seasons. Like he just kind of is always a slightly above average hitter. That's awesome and everything else, basically. That's what Ozzy obviously has been every single year for five seasons. And this year, it's – the bat's just not been the same. So, I, 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 if I if I had to bet, I think he'll still end up in the, like, low 100s diversity plus for the season, which means he'll have a pretty good month at some point in time. He'll slug closer to 450, to 470 than he is, like, 390 right now. But it's just, uh, you know, we're getting closer to, like, you know, a third of the season's happened so far, and he's not quite the same guy, so – noting, Yeah.
2: And I, I think you noted it. And to be clear, we're not worried about Ozzy. He is just as you, as you noted, a very valuable player. The glove has been really steady, really his entire career. When he gets on base, he runs the base as well. He does all the things you want. And he's obviously a talented young man. If you you asked me, you know, he's sitting here today on, on June 5th, as of recording this with an 88 WRC plus, I would pretty confidently bet it's going to be higher than that at the end of the year. And I think you would too. Um, yep. He's just, he's just trying to go through some things right now. And and hopefully again, it, it's funny. We Dansby Swanson is notorious for being streaky, but if you look at the career charts for Dan's Dansby and Ozzy, they're both equally streaky. And I think just for whatever reason, maybe because of the power, I think all just gets overlooked a little bit with his streakiness. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, I think it's just a matter of time. It's just, hopefully it's not too much time before he starts to figure it out.
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, we said it, but I'll say it one more time before we transition to the week, the week ahead. The Braves are hot right now. They've won five games in a row. That is a, uh, a new thing for this Braves team. Uh, The Mets did win tonight on Sunday. So the deficit is still eight and a half games. It got to 10 and a half, Scott, like I tweeted it during the week. It's probably my only Braves tweet of the week, actually, but, Um, they were never above eight games behind the standings last season when they famously played so poorly for so long, it was 10 and a half, a few days ago. Now it's eight and a half because the Mets uh, had had some losses, but I mean, they're still uphill battle here. It helps to win five games in a row. And clearly they have uh, found some mojo along the way here, but uh, the schedule and that transition a little bit is pretty favorable. Again, this week they're off on Monday and they play Oakland twice at home. Oakland uh, right now is 20 and 36 this season. They are very bad. Um, and then they have four at home against Pittsburgh and the Pirates have been better recently, but they still have a negative 75 run differential this year. That's still a bad baseball team. They're under 500. Um, they've been more competitive this year than they have for a couple of years now. But needless to say, at home, you should beat them more often than you lose. So this is a six game stretch where you probably won all six, but you could still make up some more ground here and uh, rack up some more wins and stay above 500. Because, you know, obviously if you're drawing it up on a uh, on a whiteboard never fall below 500 again would be nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Yeah, let's hope that's kind of in the rear view mirror. Um, interestingly, that the Braves have had some bad luck with just probable pitchers on other teams, but um, the Atlanta is going to miss the two. Oakland has two pretty darn good starting pitchers, and they will not see either of them in the shortened series. Um, they're going to see two lefties, uh, Cole Irvin, who is – fine. He's not great. He's not terrible. And then uh, someone named uh, Jared Koenig, who I've, I, I'm sorry, I've never heard of. He's 28 years old and he's never really pitched in the major league. So uh, it sets up favorably. You have Kyle Wright going on Tuesday. Um, and then as you noted, Pittsburgh is not as bad as they were maybe a couple of years ago, but that's a series you, you want to win. And, and again, we uh, we looked at the schedule a little bit, and the Mets have an, a, a difficult month of June. Uh, while the Braves are going to hopefully be beating up on Oakland and Pittsburgh, the Mets continue their West Coast trip. They're going to play the Padres, who look really good. Um, and then they're going to play the Angels, who up until recently have been tough, though they are in a ele- How do you lose 11 games in a row when you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on your roster?
1: Especially when you were 10 games over 500 before that. Like it was like, this is, it's just kind of, by the way, they still have a positive run run differential for the season with, with 11 losses in a row, like they were playing very well. And now they just aren't, I don't know. know Literally
2: have gone like two weeks without winning a game. That that's wild. Um, But anyway, you hope that uh, to circle back, you have six very winnable games at home. You hope to take, I mean, even be greedy here and say you want five and one, Uh, that would be a great week quite obviously. And then hopefully the Padres can give the Mets some problems um, and the angels kind of find their groove a little bit uh, because as, as we, as we know, I, I don't fully believe in the Mets. Like I know people are saying, Oh, this might be the best team in baseball. Once DeGrom and Scherzer come back, I, I don't believe in the offense very much. I think they've been a little bit lucky, not even a little bit. They, they've been pretty lucky. If you look at some of their yep. batted ball metrics. Um, and I think, but I, I do think the pitching staff is legitimately good. And if you can get DeGrom and Scherzer healthy, quite obviously those guys are both very, very good. Uh, the bullpen has been fine. So it's, it's going to be a real challenge, but ultimately it's, it's such a cliche, but if you're the Braves, you can't be looking at the standings, especially in early June, just go one day at a time and, and hopefully win some games.
1: <laughs> one day at a time, baby. Uh, we're talking about uh, cliches here on the podcast. Scott's just going to throw them out there like he's Brian Snicker on a, uh, on a Sunday in June, but no, uh, certainly is a good spot. And, uh, the vibes are better now than they've been all year long. They've won five in a row. That doesn't, you know, you can't fake that. Uh, everybody's feeling better when that happens. You get, you get a day off and then you're at home as well. Like I'll, I'll actually be there on Wednesday. Um, I haven't gotten to go to really games much at all for the last couple of years because of everything. And then even the playoff run, we were recording podcasts after the games, So I was staying home and watching watching the Braves to, uh, dedicate ourselves to our listeners to be able to podcast after the games, but, uh, I'll be there Wednesday. So I will, I will report directly from Truist fear Truist field Truist park what am i talking about scott i'm uh it's been a long week i'll just say that right now
2: it has you've been a busy man it's been and frankly it's it's nice too that the braves are finally going to get an off day i believe this wraps up 17 games in 17 days which yep, is that's right a, they, a lot they, of they, had,
1: they had a lot of break before that which is kind of weird like they had that one like they had a five day they had a five game week before yeah. that and it was yeah. like oh this is great and you look ahead it's like oh it's because you play the next three weeks in a row without a, without a break. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So hopefully get home tonight, have all of Monday to kind of re-hit, to re-hit, to hit the reset button a little bit. And uh, and then, yeah, settle in, keep it going, keep the vibes going. The last thing you want to do is go on a five-game winning streak and then have a big-time letdown against Oakland and Pittsburgh. Even if those teams are not completely terrible, they are teams that you want to beat. And hopefully those uh, the Mets continue to, to have some issues out West.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, all right, Scott, well, we've covered a lot of ground as we often do on this podcast, but, uh, if you have anything else to plug, go ahead and do that. We are always busy on this podcast feed again, thanks to Eric and Scott for last week, but we also have Sean Coleman recording like five days a week on the daily hammer. Sean is a hero for doing that road to Atlanta still on the same feed as well. Subscribe on the same feed, all the low price of $0, but, uh, Scott, anything else to uh, plug and get to?
2: Yeah, appreciate everybody tuning in and and be sure to check out batterypower.com, especially this time of year. We're not quite into like trade rumor season, but those I think are going to naturally start to pick up a little bit. Um, Those are always fun to talk about. And of course the game threads and all that. Um, We really do appreciate all the support and glad to have you back in town, Brad. and, And let's hope for a good week ahead.
1: Yeah. My life's back to normal ish. It's never normal, but I had about a two week stretch of travel and then a giant conference for the old day job so it's been a little bit of chaos we're back in the saddle though and uh, most of doubt in here as we get into the summer so uh hopefully the braves will be winning games it'll be fun to talk about and we'll spend all the time on the podcast but one more time please subscribe to the show on apple podcasts or spotify Stitcher, anywhere you like to find podcasts, please follow Scott on Twitter if you'd like to and follow me if you want to. Also follow the uh, entire site and all the work on the written side at batterypower.com and Battery Power SBN across social platforms. All that said, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.